Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I'm just expressing myself. And uh, I think we all as Americans have the right to express ourselves, especially if you're being respectful. I'm being respectful. I just asked a simple question. Really, did I? Let's get right down to it. What did I ask? A simple question. Why are we not looking into those things? If we're going to talk about it, why are we not looking into those things? Because it's kind of hard for me to say I can realistically look at it. I see the images on TV. People's livelihoods are being destroyed. Businesses are being burned down. No problem. And then we have a dust-up at the Capitol. Well, there's nothing burned down. And we're not going to talk about it. We're going to make that a major deal. I just think it's kind of two standards. And if we apply the same standard and we're going to be reasonable with each other, let's have a discussion. That's all it was. Let's have a discussion. We're Americans. Let's talk it through. I'm I'm for us yeah. That was Jack Del Rio from last Wednesday, a press conference is pre- previously scheduled as part of the ongoing organized team activities for the organization. And he was talking about a tweet that he had posted the day before we wrote something about it. We got a personal mention from Jack Del Rio during that same press conference because it was the slow time and, you know, we got nothing better to do. So we we decided to to write about what he said. But what he said caught my eye because he was setting up what I believe is a false equivalence and many others believe it as well. Many others disagree. That's a point that we'll get to coming up. But the commanders, after a couple of days of it percolating, and I think that there was a lot of strategic attention paid to the PR fallout, to the potential consequences, to the effort to get free money for a stadium in Virginia. When one of the Virginia state senators comes out and says, that was the last nail in the coffin for me when Jack Del Rio downplayed the insurrection from January 6th, calling it a dust-up, and you have other criticism. The commanders made a decision, a business decision, that they could not let this stand, that they had to do something. And I thought it was curious that the fine was imposed by Ron Rivera. 
not by the team, not by ownership, not by anyone except Ron Rivera. I think he's the only one in that organization who has both the credibility and the moral authority to pull it off. Even the, the, the team itself doesn't have currently the moral authority to pull it off. That Rivera is the one who was assigned the task of imposing the fine, even though clearly it's not a coach decision, it's an organization decision, and it's a business decision. They they decided early on not to say anything, to monitor it. Ron Rivera tried during the, the, that same round of press conferences to downplay it, and it wasn't until Del Rio decided to talk about it and called it a dust-up that it really became a big deal, and so they felt like they had to do something. I said this yesterday. Miles, and, and I'm happy to discuss it and talk it through. I, I think that to the extent that, you know, somebody says something, you have a right to say something. Mm-hmm. First Amendment does not give you freedom from consequences. Whether those consequences are other people saying what you said is stupid or your employer feeling compelled to do something about it. When you work in an industry that relies upon PR, relies upon people feeling good about your team, your product, you know, it, it gets a little dicey when people start yeah. making business decisions based upon the exercise of First Amendment rights. That's what happened to Colin Kaepernick. Teams made bad uh, – what they thought were good business decisions I thought were unfair and inappropriate business decisions. You could make the same argument that at the end of the day, Del Rio got what he should have gotten by a lot of people saying, are you freaking crazy? It was a dust-up? That that should have been enough – that taking $100,000 out of his pocket is a little too close to what they did to Colin Kaepernick. You, you, you make a business decision because you're, you're afraid there's going to be some negative consequence to not acting. For the NFL and its teams, the fear was if you associate with Colin Kaepernick, you're going to have a chunk of your fan base that, that doesn't show up for games, that doesn't support your product. And for Jack Del Rio, I think the fundamental fear was we're not going to get free money for our new stadium in Virginia unless – the politicians there are sufficiently placated by the idea that we did something to smack this guy down for saying something as, as dumb as it may have been in the opinion of many. I know many agree with him. Many disagree. And those people said so on both sides. And I hate to both sides an issue that I feel like in my heart shouldn't be. But this is where we right. are in this country. This is where we are right now. We, we both both sides feel like it shouldn't be both sides, if that makes any sense. So I don't feel great about taking a hundred thousand dollars out of his pocket i think the public flack that he got was sufficient same thing with colin kaepernick you got a certain chunk of the fan base that doesn't like what he did he takes it he stands firm in his belief and he moves forward and he has a chance to move forward ideally in the nfl but we know that didn't happen i don't know i there's just something about all this that just doesn't sit well with me uh what are your thoughts on it well i mean the the first thing that comes to mind is just how moronic the, what Jack Del Rio said was. I mean, that I mean, take the whole Black Lives Matter, you know, racist undertones of what he had to say about just asking questions. Let, let's take that out of it for a second, right? Just to call what happened at the Capitol on January 6th, 2021, a dust up is moronic. It's ludicrous. Right, and we're having a primetime special of here of congressional hearings where an officer is talking about how she was slipping in other people's blood. Right? People literally died from the January 6th insurrection. So to call that a dust up as the defensive coordinator 
of the team that represents Washington, D.C., that doesn't make any sense. So I liked that Ron Rivera's statement was so strong in that, you know, he's saying, that, look, I'm not going to stand for this false equivalence here, right, of, you know, people talking or people standing up because they're not being heard about systemic injustice in the criminal justice system. Right. Systemic racism that way. And also like, look, we have an attempted coup on the other side of the equation here like that. That's a false equivalence. Um, But yeah, when you're talking about then fining him and then using that fine to go to law enforcement, it's all like, like, what kind of are we doing here? I, I, I thought the statement to me was stronger than the fine. And then you see Jack Del Rio deletes his Twitter account, which we probably would all be better off if we were off Twitter. But like, yes. yeah, I think that that's something that he needed to do because th- this whole thing of him just asking questions about, you know, the January 6th committee hearings, this is not something that he just started a week ago. I mean, you could go back and look at Jack Del Rio's now deleted Twitter history. He's been saying this kinds of stuff on Twitter for a long, long, long time. So yes, it's a long time coming for him to delete this and stop being a distraction. Taking the pages, the various pages out of the same playbook that reflects the mindset that puts him on that side of where we currently are in America, where we are in two tribes, we are in two camps, and we view everything in the most simple, absolute terms. I'm not saying you and I, I'm saying we as a people. The danger is the moment that there's a development, we immediately run it through our side, how do we react to it based upon what our views are, what our tribe would say to this without regard to nuance or subtlety? And so that just makes the divide even stronger. I wrote something yesterday and I was stunned by the amount of positive feedback that I got for it. I was concerned it was going to be a lot of negative feedback like I got over the weekend for some of the other things that I said about this. But the reality is We are jammed into these two camps by a two-party political system when I think most of us would like to reside somewhere in the purple, not red or blue, not deep red or deep blue, but somewhere in between is where we are. I never liked the idea of you join a political party, so you must make a blood oath to every single plank of the party's platform. I prefer my political views a la carte. There are certain things that I may be a little conservative about. There are certain things that I would be progressive about. There are certain things that I am flat out libertarian about. So I don't like the idea of saying I have to pick one or the other, but that's kind of what we've become where it's one or the other and you're required to have your membership respected in whichever tribe you're in to go out there and fight like hell on every issue and accept every issue as the most important thing you've ever dealt with and shout from the rooftops your tribe's position on it. And that's what Del Rio has been. He's been a card-carrying member of the Red Tribe, and and we know it's predictable. Whether, whether it's red or blue, we know what the, the reaction is going to be. We know when something needs to be downplayed, it will be. When an equivalence needs to be made, it will be. And, and the people in Team Blue think that the people in Team Red are being incredibly disingenuous and dishonest about how they process things, and the people in Team Red think the people in Team Blue are being incredibly dishonest and disingenuous about the way they protest things. And it's amazing to me that we really are, Miles, two countries 
living within the same borders. And that's kind of what we are right now. We're forced into those two tribes unless we have the willingness to say, wait a minute, why do I need to be in one of these two tribes? Why can't I just be my own person who has my own views where I'm not beholden to this idea that I'm going to slip into this mindset where you're wrong and here's why and the person you're trying to tell it to isn't going to listen to you because they're too busy saying you're wrong and here's why back to you. Well, there's a lot to unpack there, as we yes. say, Mike. Uh, oh, let me say this. There's a reason why I live in Los Angeles County in Southern California. So that's part of it. Um, what you said reminded me a lot of what Matthew McConaughey was saying last week um, when he was at the White House and, you know, he was talking about um, the shooting that happened in Uvalde, Texas. And, you know, there should be principles that we should all be able to agree about, you know, as yes. Americans. Um, and one of them is that, you know, we shouldn't have to worry about kids getting slaughtered in schools. Right. So, you know, there seems to be some movement on that, you know, in, over the weekend, and that's all well and good. We'll see what good it actually does. But I, I, I tend to agree with you that we shouldn't always just go one place or the other place, but sometimes that's difficult when the one place doesn't make it um, viable as a Black American to be in that place i agree so that's the way i see it and that's and why like the stuff with jack del Rey, it burns me up man because it's like you, there's just so many undertones there when you're just i'm just asking questions i mean why is it oh, that there's two standards for blah, blah blah like i can't i can't i can't jive with that like there's nothing for me over there so and i agree with you and 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 that's why it's unfortunate that it feels like because we're so rigidly in two camps there's never room for nuance. Right. It all has to be absolute, especially the the position that Jack Jack Del Rio thought it was just a simple apples to apples. It's hardly apples to apples when you consider, as you said, if for anybody who watched the Thursday night hearing and they're having another one today at 10 a.m. Eastern and I'm going to watch that. I think it's our duty as Americans to watch it. But see, that's the I problem, agree. Miles. You and I think it's our duty as Americans to watch this process and accept what this committee found. There are people out there who think it's all fraudulent, who think it's all fake, who think it's all political, who think it's not about getting to the truth, that they've already decided it wasn't an insurrection. They've already decided and accepted that this was that this was no big deal. And if it was an insurrection, where were their weapons? Why didn't they bring guns? It's like, are Really? You, you think they're going to storm the Capitol with AR-15s and you think they're not going to be mowed down? Or as, as I said last week, and I, I wish I could remember the person who posted this. It was a comedian who has this bit that he puts up anytime that there's a mass shooting and the, the issue of gun control becomes a front burner topic. Anybody who thinks they need an AR-15 to protect them from the government doesn't understand how tanks work. So it's not like they're going to launch a military assault on the Capitol. They did what they could. They used the cover of a mob to infiltrate with groups that were highly organized, groups that were that were strategically planning a pathway in at the behest 
of somebody high up in the government who wanted the process of transferring power to be delayed, if not derailed. That's not all that hard to understand if you're willing to be fair about accepting and processing the facts. And that's where there's a fundamental difference between organic protests that erupt because of horribly unfair, illegal, immoral treatment of minorities by police officers. And that frustration erupts into an organic riot. That's far different from somebody deliberately pressing buttons over a period of months to try to engineer a result that looks organic, but that is hardly something that just kind of happened on a Wednesday afternoon in January of 2021. Yes, exactly. But, and again, that's why I think it's so ridiculous that, you know, you would have a defensive coordinator saying this, it is a team that represents Washington DC. Like that's, that's where this is. Like that's, and to me, that's probably part of why, and I mean, this goes to the new stadium and all that, that they're trying to get funding for, but like, that's why you can't just have a defensive coordinator saying this without some sort of punishment involved there. Like, I mean, you know, you're, you're free to say what you want, but you're not free from the consequences of saying what you want. You know, I, I took a first amendment class in college and while I didn't do all that well in it, I do remember that, you know? Like this, just because you say something, it, it, it doesn't mean that you're free from the consequences of it. And, you know, there sometimes there need to be consequences from when you say something moronic. And, and that's the, the challenge for me. And that's what I continue to wrestle with. What are the fair consequences to Jack Del Rio? Is it enough that he is publicly humiliated, shamed? Not that he cares. He probably wears I mean, it, it as a badge on, of honor that guys like depends, us are saying what we I say. I mean, it depends on, well, maybe. I mean, it depends on how much you want to say that he's being shamed, right? I mean, there are plenty of people who agree with him. I, I agree with you that as I read through the statement, it struck me as something that felt more like a precursor to firing him and not a precursor to finding him, that that's how mm -hmm. strongly it was worded. And it really left me wondering over the weekend whether this is the beginning of the end or the end of the beginning for Del Rio and the commanders. And we've got five, six weeks until training camp starts. They have their mandatory minicamp this week, and I'm sure they're going to do their best to put it behind them. I don't know that they'll make Jack Del Rio available to talk. He probably won't want to be available to talk, as evidenced by the fact that he deleted his Twitter page. Ron Rivera undoubtedly will speak at some point, maybe multiple times, and he'll have to navigate the questions that will be asked about this, and he may get some, some tough and pointed questions. Who knows? Who knows? Depends on who's at the press conferences where he speaks. But... Um, I don't think it's impossible that a $100,000 fine isn't enough to put out the fire. When you have Hall of Fame safety Ed Reed, who isn't known as a guy who, you know, is tweeting all the time and taking, you know, strong positions publicly, he comes out and he says, it's not enough. And the players who play for Jack Del Rio need to stand up and be counted. That's a way that... You know, if those players hear this and they, they're going to get asked about it this week. And I thought I thought teams didn't like distractions. Right. This is one hell of a distraction that's been created by Jack Del Rio, because I suspect that every player is going to be asked about it this week. Will they feel more emboldened to say what they think? Because I think last week, Jonathan Allen, his comments, 
he kind of said what he had to say because they're mm-hmm. trying not to make this a big distraction and ordeal and problem in the locker room. Ed Reed's comments may prompt some of those players who maybe hadn't even paid attention to it. I think that was part of it. I think maybe some of the players are caught up in their lives and they don't understand. Jack Del Rio said something. What did he say? Well, wait a minute. Somebody has to explain this to me because I'm really not paying attention to it. I feel that way all the time with current events. Like, I don't what's what's going on here? I feel like I'm five news cycles behind wherever the news currently is. Maybe some of these guys had a chance over the weekend to read about it and think about it and talk about it and and realize we we should be upset about what this guy said. Maybe. Um, I mean, I certainly, uh, you know, if this is something that is you, something that you care about and you are a team leader on Washington, then yeah, it's something that you can make, I don't want to say a stink about, but like you can make it a, a bigger deal um, than it already has been. Um, but you, you, you wrote something last week about Del Rio and I retweeted it and was like, you know, we talk about players being distractions all the time. I, I think you're absolutely right on that track. I mean, we do, we, we say that, you know, you don't want to be a distraction if you're a player. So why don't we have that same standard for coaches? And I mean, look, this defense last year was not all that great. You know, they were like 22nd in yards allowed. I think yeah, I have it right here. 22nd in yards allowed 25th in points allowed in 2021. Right. They were very, very, very good the year before. Like we have to say that, you know, and the head coach is a defensive guy. The head yes, coach is a defensive yes. guy too, so it's not yes. like they would miss no. Jack Del Rio. Yeah. This yeah. isn't we're, this we're not... isn't Bill Belichick, prime defensive coordinator, right. who would be yeah. asked to move on. But exactly. but you're right. I was going right. to say Bum yeah. Phillips or Buddy Ryan. You know, like, yeah. we, we, like whatever defensive guru you want to talk about. I don't think that's what we're talking about right here with Jack Del Rio. And this is a point I made on Friday. Teams constantly make decisions that are in the best interest of the organization when they tell the guys at the bottom of the roster, sorry, sorry, but we're going to sign somebody else. They're going to have 90 guys going to camp. They're going to have 53 who make it to the active roster. And, yeah, they'll have more on the practice squad. But still, plenty of guys are going to be asked to pack up their things and leave. Best interest of the team. we got to keep the best players. And right. and this is where you know we hear from time to time under the personal conduct policy that non-players are held to a higher standard. I mean, let's think about this. Are they? From the standpoint of distractions. No, they, they, they say they are, but they aren't. <laughs> From the standpoint of distractions, okay, Jack Del Rio is a two-time former head coach. Coached the Jaguars, did a pretty good job with the Jaguars, ultimately was fired, resurfaced as head coach of the Raiders, got treated poorly there, I believe, by the whole John Gruden inside deal that was set up while Jack Del Rio was still the coach. I went to bat yes. for Jack Del Rio. I thought he got screwed by Mark Davis and John Gruden. I thought I that agree. was shameful. Oh, and by the way, his agent at the time was also representing John Gruden, which made it even worse, frankly. But but from the standpoint of understanding how distractions can undermine a team, how distractions can affect a team, he never should have gone there. He, never, he should never be doing anything, whether it's on Twitter or whether it's at a press conference, that potentially becomes a distraction. He should be held to the standard of understanding and having the foresight as to how something can become a distraction. He allowed himself to become a distraction. See, I think what happened on Friday was the classic Mike Ehrman Trout breaking bad half measure. They should have just fired him. If this is going to be a problem for the team, smacking him down with a $100,000 fine and telling him he's going to delete his Twitter account late on Saturday night when no one is paying attention, that's not enough. If this is enough that it requires you to do anything, I think it requires you to do everything. 
and just say this relationship is fractured beyond repair. It's not our fault. It's your fault. And we just need to go our separate ways. I and it kind of runs counter. I'm trying. You know, yesterday I was trying very hard to find a way to build a bridge between red America and blue America. And it may just be that that bridge is never going to be built. And it may just be that we're going to end up being in cold civil war mindset until it hopefully not in my lifetime turns hot okay but the reality is if we are going to hold the coaches and the non-players to a higher standard and this is a guy who's older than me god God, that makes him freaking old who should understand the connection between the things he says the views he espouses, and how that can cause problems for his employer. He should be held to a much higher standard in that regard than Colin Kaepernick was held. So I I, I still think between now and the time training camp opens, there's a chance that, that, that both sides just recognize this is not tenable. Certainly. Uh, I think the best point you made in there was when you're pointing out that Jack Del Rio is a two-time former head coach. Right? And these are the kinds of things where in terms of distractions that he really should have the foresight to understand why they would become problems because he's been a head coach. And it's not like he was just a head coach in you know, the early 2000s or whatnot. I mean, like what, what happened with John Gruden happened at the end of 2017 and into 2018, you know, so like he's been a head coach in the Twitter era and understands how these things can you know, become um, headline makers. So I, I, I think that when you have that kind of experience, there is a reason to hold somebody to a higher standard than you might otherwise. And see what, what you've witnessed for those of you who are watching or listening either live or sky sports later today or podcast oh, or however, th- th- this is, this is an example of what happens when two reasonable people talk about something. And go back and forth in a meaningful dialogue where they listen to each other. They think about what's being said. They maybe massage their own viewpoints. It's okay. You're you're not admitting you're less of a man or less of a person or less committed to your views if you dare to change how you feel about something after listening to what someone else says and viewing it a different way and looking at it through a different prism. And, Miles, without the benefit of this conversation today, it wouldn't have dawned on me that this guy should have known. I mean, this controversy is six days old. And as the saying goes, wisdom never comes at all, so you may as well accept it if it shows up late. One of the first things I should have thought of is he's creating distraction, and he's somebody who should know damn well the problems inherent to creating distractions for your football team. It's all the more reason he never should have been on Twitter spouting off the pages from the red team playbook or the blue team playbook. He, of all people, should be sticking to sports because he should know how that's going to create a mess. It's it's not going to make your team better. It's only going to make your team worse. Um, Well, I don't know. They keep telling us to go to break. I think they want us to go to break just because we're telling we you to go to way break. over. We're two segments in to a seven-segment show, and we only have 40 minutes left in the show. You do the math. We got a lot to do. We got a long way to go and a short time to get there. Let's take a break. We'll be back with more PFT Live right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected the unpredictable, 
and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Cooper Cup's been talking a little bit recently about Odell Beckham Jr., and there's been other chatter from members of the Rams, Sean McVay, last week. And the bottom line is they would like to have him back in L.A. And, Miles, look, I for a team that has done a good job of taking care of the players who have gotten them to the top of the mountain, the one guy who hasn't been taken care of, is Odell Beckham Jr. And the obvious problem is he's recovering from his second torn ACL in less than two years. The last one required 11 months before he was cleared to play. And then the new ACL went without contact in Super Bowl 56. And they're not going to give this guy a big pile of money until they know he's healthy. And it's unfortunate because they should give him a nice little pile of money beyond the $3.5 million that he earned in incentives for what he did to help the team get there. He was the best player on the field offensively until he tore his ACL in Super Bowl 56. And if he would have continued on that rate, he would have been the MVP, not Cooper Cup. Mm-hmm. I just wonder, and, and look, I know that it's important to Odell Beckham Jr. to feel wanted. That was the difference maker to get him to go to the Rams in the first place. And, and they want him there. But they got to come up with, they got to come up with an offer. And the longer they wait, the greater the risk that somebody else is going to swoop in and grab him. Sims and I were talking last week about the Buccaneers as a possibility. If I was the Rams, I'd be concerned about the Vikings as a possibility because Kevin O'Connell was there as the head coach, and Justin Jefferson is there, and he's a huge Odell Beckham Jr. admirer. And could you imagine that offense if you throw OBJ in with Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson and Irv Smith, who they expect big things from this year? Holy crap! So they're playing a little bit of a dangerous game here as they wait for Odo Beckham Jr. to get healthy, and they say, we want him, we want him, we want him. There's a chance somebody else is going to take the risk of maybe he's not healthy yet. Maybe he won't be ready to go until November or December, but we're going to go ahead and pay him and bring him in because we know the value he's going to give us down the stretch. Yeah, I noticed that you didn't mention Kirk Cousins in that little discussion you had of your Minnesota Vikings. So that's interesting. You know, you always got to think. Kevin O'Connell's going to play quarterback. Yeah, you see, uh, the other team you didn't mention is the Green Bay Packers, right? I mean, you know, Matt LaFleur is the head coach there. And uh, Odell was reportedly close to either joining the Packers or the Rams last year, too. And Matt LaFleur is, you know, of that same school of, you know, coaches that were with Washington in 2013. And now they're elsewhere. So, again, it's a similar offensive scheme and I think Aaron Rodgers would certainly love to have a guy who can catch the ball like Odell Beckham Jr. But you're right, it, it depends on what his health is and when. Right? I mean this is when you're talking about the Super Bowl and it was the latest the Super Bowl's ever been played, you don't know if he's gonna be ready in late December. Maybe it's January. Hell he might not even be ready to play at all in the 2022 season. So we'll see if he ends up back with the Rams or if he goes elsewhere. But it does certainly seem like the Rams would love to have him back. You mentioned the Packers, and I don't even really factor them in when I think about them because I believe they made him an offer that they knew he wouldn't accept to placate Aaron Rodgers. I don't believe they ever were serious, they being the money people, yes. the people at the top, not LaFleur, but the Brian Gutekunst, Russ Ball, Mark Murphy triumvirate that runs the organization. I don't think they ever wanted him. And I said this last week, they kind of ran a grift on Aaron Rodgers, making Rodgers think they tried, just like 
Rodgers now believes they tried to keep Devontae Adams. Like, okay, whatever. Devontae Adams uh, said they tried to keep him. If they would have taken care of business with – no, but if they if they would have done what they should have done, November, December, you make him that yeah, offer, he's okay. taking it. He's taking it. They okay. waited too long. Okay, it's one thing to go make yeah, this life changing to offer yes. to a guy who doesn't have who doesn't have door number two open and he knows what's in it. Once door number two is open and you know what's in it, it's a lot easier to say sorry. I'm not taking what you're offering me. But if that's dropped onto the table at a time when he has no idea what's going to transpire, then you're more likely to say. And I say that because after his first contract ended in Green Bay, they swooped in and they got him signed right after the season ended. It was a non-playoff year for the Packers, 2017. They signed him to a four-year contract just like that. I remember saying, don't do it. Don't do it. Your injury risk is gone. You're just walking to free agency. They're not going to franchise tag you. And if they do, then you'll see what happens. So uh, if they wanted him, they could have had him. If they wanted Odo Beckham, they could have had him. And I guess to your point, if they want him now, then maybe they should, maybe they should want him. That's another team that at least the Rams should be thinking about because the longer he's out there, I think the greater the chance somebody else is going to say, we're going to put the full court press on him like the Rams did. Last year it was as he lingered on the market. And I said it, the longer he's there, the greater the chance the Rams are going to make a move. I think this year, the longer he's there, the greater the chance the Rams have to worry about somebody else making a move. All right, we need to make a move from the Rams to the Raiders. Odell's looking for his contract. Hunter Renfro has gotten one. We'll break that down when PFT Live continues right after this. What is it like just uh, playing with him? It's, it's great, man. Um, he's, uh, he's an interesting dude because... Um, you know, I've been around a lot of people that are like Hunter, but they're never usually, you know, going into their, what is this, fourth year coming up? It's never been a, a fourth year with the type of, you know, football acumen that he has and um, his awareness and understanding why he does certain things. Because there's people out there with a lot of talent, but they can't sit there and break it down and tell you why they're, you know, doing what they did with their footwork or the next rep, why they tweaked it a little bit because of the look that they had. So, um, his awareness and his, his football smarts is, uh, is definitely he's ahead of his time. Hunter Renfro drafted by the former regime in Las Vegas at the time they were in Oakland when the mindset was, hey, just take guys from Clemson. Clemson's really good. Let's just take guys from Clemson and we'll be fine. Cleveland Farrell, no. Hunter Renfro, yes. And mm-hmm. he signed a two-year extension. I, I thought this was really smart. The money's not gigantic as the receiver market goes. It's a two-year, $32 million extension. $21 million of it is guaranteed. So it's $16 million a year at a time when the market is 25 26 27 up toward 30 kind of. This is a short-term Band-Aid where Hunter Renfro is kind of betting on himself, betting on the fact that when he gets through the next couple of seasons – he'll be in position to make even more. As Devontae Adams is cycling through the early big money years of his deal, and he'll be 10, 11 years into his career, maybe Renfro you know, is valued differently than he is now and he makes a lot more on his next deal, or he goes somewhere else because, again, he's under contract for just three more seasons. Right, and the great thing about this for the Raiders, and I've liked so much of what the Raiders have done um, in this offseason, but you're talking about a guy – in Renfro, who plays a position as a very premium position in the Josh McDaniels offense. 
right? I mean, look what Wes Welker did with the Patriots. Now look what Julian Edelman became with the Patriots. That's something that is not out of the realm of possibility for a guy like Hunter Renfro, who, who led the Raiders last year with 103 catches. He had over 1,000 yards, nine touchdowns. He had a great season last year after two very good ones um, as a rookie and then as a second-year player. So I like this for the Raiders. I like that it guarantees some pretty decent money for Hunter Renfro, and then he could have a chance to hit the open market and a guy that's still in the prime of his career. So, and you know, like I said, if this works out the way it could, you could see him become one of the real premier slot receivers in the National Football League. Yeah, and look at the weapons that Derek Carr now has, from Devontae yeah. Adams to Darren Waller, who needs to get his contract taken care of, Absolutely. frankly. What he's making is, is in comparison to the best tight ends and the best pass catchers is just as wrong as it can be right now. And maybe the Renfro deal is a precursor to Darren Waller getting something that would give him what he has earned. He already has his second contract, but boy, that was a hell of a deal for the Raiders. He has yeah, outperformed and the market has, has accentuated how far Darren Waller has outperformed that contract. But uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting offense for the Las Vegas Raiders and a different approach than what we've seen from a Josh McDaniels offense, but he's not the guy who was picking the players. See, now he's back in to that, that mode that he was in with Denver more than a decade ago where he's got the personnel control. I know Dave Ziegler's a GM, but come on, it's really Josh McDaniels running the show out there. And uh, we're going to see maybe a more dynamic version of the Josh McDaniels offense than, than we've ever seen before, at least dating back to his first stint in New England when it was Wes Welker and Randy Moss. So uh, AFC West. More than we've ever seen before. That's a little hyperbolic there, Mike. I mean, I, from him. From him. From yes, McDaniels, yes. right, right. But that was that was his first time around since he's been back. You know, they they look every once in a while. You and this all gets back to the failure of the Patriots to either properly scout or develop receivers that they draft. Yep, that's that's been the flaw there. Uh, so McDaniels steps into a spot where they've already got Waller and Renfro. They make the trade for Adams. Off they go, and uh, that offense is going to be fun to watch. And they're one of those teams where if they were in any other division. I'd feel a lot better about their chances this year. It's not going to be easy for them in the AFC West. It's not going to be easy for any of those teams. But uh, the Raiders uh, giving plenty of people cause for optimism. Let's go ahead. And t- do we want to hit? Let- let's just mention this real quick. We talked about Washington earlier. Terry McLaurin, a guy who has kind of been forgotten in all of the talk about who's getting paid, who should get paid, who's getting traded and getting paid by someone else, who's holding out. Uh, DK Metcalf, not at mandatory minicamp last week. Reportedly, McLaurin won't be at the Washington mandatory minicamp. I just haven't gotten the feeling, Miles, that this regime, which isn't the regime that drafted Terry McLaurin, feels compelled to pay him big money. I just feel like they don't want to do it, but they also don't feel compelled to trade him to someone who will. Well, I mean, you've got to have Terry McLaurin in there at some point. I mean, I, if I am a team that just traded for Carson Wentz and like, I'm going to see if Carson Wentz can, you know, be something that he hasn't been the last two years and lead my franchise to the postseason, then I need Terry McLaurin there. I, I, I don't know how deleting Terry McLaurin from the roster makes them a better football team. If you don't want to pay him, then yeah, you got to trade him to somebody who will. But like, I just, I think that if you've got Carson Wentz and you want Carson Wentz to be the best version of Carson Wentz, then you need McLaurin there on the field. 
They've got Tayami Brown, who was, I think, a second or a third rounder last year out of North Carolina. He was one of the guys Sims really liked. He he could develop. You've got Jahan Dotson. They used a first-round pick on him after they traded down. The the cupboard is pretty bare, though. They need they do need Terry McLaurin. Um, the, but it, it gets back to what we were it, talking about right. earlier with the receiver position. Do you backfill with someone else? Who else is out there? Can you trade him now for picks next year? That's still a possibility. Just because the draft has come and gone, there's another draft next year. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. But the report is he's not expected to be there at mandatory minicamp, and we'll see if he's at training camp if they don't get something worked out. We'll take a break. More PFT Live right after this. So we played some sound on Friday from Tom Brady talking about the – Bruce Arians dynamic and he navigated that as best he could when you remember that he said last year 90% of the things he says aren't what he actually believes because he wants to avoid conflict and controversy Bruce Arians recently said that he was going to stay until Tom Brady returned and I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take an unfair liberty with that comment his position is that he decided to leave once Brady came back because he wanted to hand the team in a better situation to Todd Bowles. He wasn't going to stick Bowles with Blaine Gabbard and Kyle Trask. This one is a tough one for Arians to walk. He thinks that Gabbard is underrated. At one point last year, he said he's the most underrated player in the NFL. But he didn't want to stick Todd Bowles with Blaine Gabbard. Blaine Gabbard, highly underrated. Great quarterback, but I would not do that to my good friend Todd Bowles. I'm sorry. I just won't do it to him. Um, uh, it, it's a weird situation. Shereen and I talked about this on Friday. The timeline was perfectly orchestrated by everyone involved. Bruce Arians shows up for the league meetings, exits before there's a press conference, during which he would have been talking about all the ongoing plans for the draft and whatnot. No sign that he's not going to be there. He leaves, and then two days later, he retires or resigns or steps aside or whatever it is. It just makes no sense. And I still think Brady's fingerprints, directly or indirectly, are all over it. And nothing that anyone says is going to change my mind about this. Tom Brady ordered the code red, or someone close to him ordered the code red. Part of the deal for Brady to come back was a change was going to be made. And I, I, I was told... The same night Brady unretired by someone I trust, I wasn't able to nail it down, but I was told the next shoe to fall is Arians will be out as the head coach. And 17 days later, that's exactly what happened. Uh, you're giving me a chance to use my favorite phrase. Brady just came back and said, oh, won't someone rid me of this meddlesome priest? And boy, oh boy, Bruce Arians was gone, wasn't he? Except he's not really gone. He's still there. And he's like, we rolling around in his golf cart and still like hamming it up with the media, apparently. The whole thing that's going on in Tampa Bay is a very weird situation to me. And it's still weird to me that he just like handed over a head coaching job to Todd Bowles, which I think it's a great thing that Todd Bowles is a head coach in this league again. But the process of him getting there is still very strange to me. Like, it's just a weird situation. And I don't know. I mean, frankly, I bet the Bucs are going to win the Super Bowl this year if I had to put money on it, and I'm not really a betting man, but, like, yeah, I don't know. There are just things that Brady does, right? This seems to be one of the things that he could do, just win another Super Bowl and then do whatever he's going to do after that. 
Yeah, what's what's funny, though, is the guy that called the blitz that blew the game against the Rams is now the head coach. So uh, we can't take for granted what Bruce Arians did as a game day head coach. Game day. He never he never was the guy that we I talked about this on Friday with Shireen. He was never the guy that the day after the game we would say he iced his own kicker or, you know, he he can't run the, the, the team and 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 also call plays and he's taking too long to get the play in. he's doing too much he's screwing himself making bad decisions whatever he was never that guy it's almost like a long snapper for a coach you only stand out when you screw up sometimes there'll be some next level bill belichick move like you know taking a deliberate safety late in the game or something like that that has people like oh boy that was genius rarely though does that happen with a coach they stand out for something stupid not for something smart your best bet is to be not noticed. And Arians, for the most part, for the most part, was not noticed. And I just I, – I pay very close attention to how visible he is as it relates to how close he is to the team. Like during the draft, he's sitting there front and center like he's running the place. You're not the coach yeah. anymore. You know? And what? so what's yeah. going to happen on game days? Where's he going to be? Are we going to cut to Bruce Arians up in some booth who's – you know, I, and it's not like he can communicate to the sideline, but how involved is he really going to be? And at some point, will they have to tell him, Bruce, you're not the coach of the team anymore? I, I wonder that myself. That's what I'm saying. That's why it's so weird when he's, like, rolling out there and hamming it up in the media. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm still here. Like, okay, I guess. Like, you're not the coach. So, look, I mean, he certainly has the right to do it. I mean, he, you know, he got them a Super Bowl. Tom Brady won it with him and all that. But, yeah, I don't know. It's like I said, it's just a weird situation to me that's going on in Tampa. I, I think that somebody crafted a narrative that he accepted, which is a, was, a, was a better narrative than you just retire and walk off into the sunset. You still get to be here, right? You get to hold your head yeah. high. You get, you get to say that you wanted this. It just it all seems too engineered and too convenient. And at the end of the day, when you look at what Brady said last week about how Bruce Aarons was one of the reasons he came to Tampa, how was there not even a whiff of consternation from Brady that 17 days after he came back, he's got to deal with a coaching change? That's a big deal. And Brady was just like, okay, okay. Yeah. That that character that. Uh, Pete, uh, how do I already forget his last name? Pete, Pete Davidson, Davidson on SNL. The okay, okay. Yeah. They're telling him all these horrible things. <laughs> okay. He's just, okay. You get, hey, Tom, you came back after a 40-day retirement, and now you're a head coach. The guy who was one of the reasons you came here in the first place, he's out. Okay. Okay. That's how it was. Okay. Yeah, Let's mean, take a break. Like, Go ahead. It's weird, man. If you got something it's else. Weird. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm looking it, at the clock. We got another minute. You got something? I all right. Well, no, I just I think that he Bruce Arians probably does care about the fact that Todd Bowles is taking over. I mean, I, I, I believe that when he says that, that, you know, that's the guy that he would want to take over for him. I, I do believe that. Um, and I'm sure that he wanted Todd Bowles to be a head coach in a really good situation. And there probably is some truth to the notion of, all right, well, Tom Brady's back. That means I can step back here, you know, but it's still weird the way it all went down in the middle of March. It's still yeah. weird. Yeah. Look, it was unprecedented. And yes. they want us to believe there's nothing to see here. The harder they try to get us to believe there's nothing to see here, I see, I see, I see something. I see things. Uh, so, uh, well, no, no, uh, not yet. Haven't, haven't, haven't acquired that 
that power, if it is a power yet. But uh, we'll see how it goes for Tampa Bay. Let's take a break. Arians clearly not feeling any pressure this year since he won't be coaching. We're going to do a draft today of the coaches who are under the most pressure as the 2022 season approaches. We'll do that next on this Monday edition of PMT. All right, Coach of the Year odds have been out for a while. Brandon Staley, the head coach, entering his second year with the L.A. Chargers, is the favorite, followed by Nathaniel Hackett of the Denver Broncos, Frank Reich, etc. Down the list we go. The list we're making today is on the other side of the equation. The coaches under the most pressure. And as I was falling asleep last night, I went through all 32 teams and I came up with a very good list of six and I forget what they were now because I was falling asleep and I fell asleep. But I think it'll come back to me. I think it'll come back to me. There's a lot of coaches that I think are safe this year. Now, we always say that. It's once you start playing the games and once coaches start making stupid decisions or having unfortunate press conferences or whatever that they earn their ticket out of town. We know at the end of the day there'll be six, seven, or eight that end up getting fired. Who is under the most pressure as the season approaches? That's today's draft. Miles, you have the first selection. It's funny because, I mean, you said, you know, I, there are a lot of safe coaches you think this year. I thought that last year, and then we saw all the coaches that got fired. It was almost basically, what, like a, a third of the league had changed coaches. So, anyway, but the first coach uh, that would be on my list is Cliff Kingsbury. And they've got to be able to not just start well, but finish well. And that's going to be more difficult when you have DeAndre Hopkins out with the suspension. But – at the same time, like this is Cliff Kingsbury's team's MO, right? They start off pretty well or at least decently, and then they fall off at the end of the year. You cannot keep having that thing happen. Right? That, they played an absolutely non-competitive playoff game against the Los Angeles Rams last year. Um, well, to end the season, I guess you could say, on Monday night at SoFi Stadium here in Los Angeles. And like they, they had no shot from get-go, right? And that is embarrassing when you know that it's an NFC West rival that you're facing a third time. You at least should be competitive in that game. I think Cliff Kingsbury has got to be better this year as a head coach. He got a contract extension at a time when there was a lot of smoke and steam about what was going to happen with him. And we never saw the details. We don't know how much of it's guaranteed. We don't know if it was just a Band-Aid to get through to next year. And then let's see. If we have another one of these Cliff can't finish years where left column early in the year looks good right column is a disaster that's a graphic that we throw up from time to time it could be lights out for cliff kingsbury even though he did get that new contract but he is tied to kyler murray as well that's a big factor here because they're represented by the same guy and if they would have fired cliff kingsbury after the 2021 season they would have had a big problem with kyler murray okay matt rule is my first one um I think he would have been fired after 2021 if he didn't have such a gigantic buyout, even though David Tepper is one of the richest owners in the NFL. He is the richest for now. Rob Walton will supplant him by about $50 billion in net worth when that deal is finalized. But I think Tepper didn't want to didn't want to buy out the rule contract, didn't want to admit he was wrong. So he's given it one more try, and I think there's a chance that, that it's not going to go well for the Panthers and that rule will be out uh, if they don't improve significantly over what they've been. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I think if there's anybody who's on the hot seat right now, it's gotta be Matt rule. I mean, think about it. Like there, there was a story that came out 
about you know the the Panthers having interest in Sean Payton and the team didn't say we have a coach it was we would never discuss like another coach that's under contract with another team which is like wait what I don't know that was uh that was a strange thing that happened um a second pick is under somebody that's you know under pressure Frank Reich like the Colts have to be better this year. And they went out, they got Matt Ryan after they decided that they wanted nothing to do anymore with Carson Wentz, which is still like kind of wild that they just say, yeah, like bye Carson, we're going to figure out the quarterback position. We don't care what it is. It just is not going to be you. And they were fortunate that Matt Ryan became um, available. And I think that he is probably one of the best options that they could get, but you cannot have another late season collapse like they did last year when they lost to the Raiders and then they lost the, to, to the Jaguars and missed out on the postseason. You've got guys like Jonathan Taylor who are elite, you know, Darius Leonard, he's dealing with some injuries, but he's another elite guy that's on that team. So they, they've got to be better and they've got to make it to the postseason. When the owner of the team still periodically throws shade at Carson Wentz months after they got rid of him, how does the owner of the team not permanently view differently the guy who wanted Carson Wentz there? That's why I'm stunned Frank Reich wasn't fired after they lost to the Jaguars. And I think Chris Ballard probably had a lot to do with with smoothing things over, with getting Jim Ursay. To just look, look, this all goes back to Andrew Luck retiring. We'd have been fine if Andrew Luck hadn't retired, but we got thrown into this mindset. And because we have such a good team, we can't go draft some young player and and try to try to tolerate, you know, him learning how to play quarterback. We need to go get a veteran. This was the best we could do. We tried it. Let's give it another try. So I, I still think that if they struggle this year. Ursay's not going to be able to get over the fact that Reich was the guy that wanted Carson Wentz. Mike McCarthy is the next one for me because of the guy you mentioned, Sean Payton. Payton is hovering. He's looming. He's going to be the top of the A-list for someone in 2023. And we know those discussions are had, those decisions are made. And as, as written in Playmakers, available now wherever you buy your books, hopefully you buy some books and read some books, especially my book, too late to get it for three ninety nine on Kindle. Sold a few of them yesterday at three ninety nine. Imagine that. But when it when it's three quarters of a gallon of gas, you can really move some books. But the the Cowboys were hiring Peyton a few years ago when Jason Garrett was the head coach, and it all fell apart. I think McCarthy needs to worry about Sean Peyton entering and McCarthy exiting. Yeah, I think that's certainly a possibility, especially because we know that the Cowboys have had interest in the past. Uh, my last pick be Matt LaFleur um, and you know it's interesting because there's a lot that's been going on in Green Bay right but when you get rid of Devontae Adams that's going to put some inherent pressure on you to make a, your sure your scheme is right to maximize the talents of Aaron Rodgers right so I think that there is some pressure that I don't necessarily think he's going to be fired but I think no, he's that, got 13 like, wins a year for three years he's got 39 wins in three seasons I'm not saying that he, I don't think don't, I'm not talking like badly about Matt LaFleur Matt LaFleur's my guy but like I just think when you delete somebody who is that productive and that much of your offense right. it's tough so right. there's some it's pressure, pressure on Matt LaFleur to make it's not sure hot seat right. no, 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 it's no, not no, hot no. seat it's pressure it's pressure but yeah. yeah. pressure makes it. diamonds and you know one I think two three four pressure all right we need to take a break we're deferring my pick. I want to really carefully take my pick under consideration, kind of like Judge Wapner. I'm going to go to my chambers, and I'll be back with my decision right after this. 
Five picks in and one to go. The coach is under the most pressure in 2022. Not hot seat. We were talking about this during the break. You can be under pressure and be on the hot seat, but you can also be under pressure without being on the hot seat. Hot seat, you're under pressure, but you can still be under pressure. I don't know. It sounded better during the break. Kyle Shanahan is under pressure. Yes. Kyle Shanahan is not on the hot seat necessarily, although he could have a sufficiently disastrous season to be swept out of San Francisco. Because when you look at the overall record of Shanahan with the 49ers, it is not nearly all that impressive. Now, last year they turned it around late and they got to the brink of the Super Bowl. But this year with this whole quarterback thing, and can you get Trey Lance ready? And are you going to compete with the Rams and McVay and Matthew Stafford? A lot of pressure on Kyle Shanahan to prove himself right for the move they made last year to trade up to get Trey Lance, Kyle. Um, Kyle Absolutely. Kyle. Hmm. Miles. Uh, not haven't Kyle. been called Kyle Miles. in a while. Yeah, thank Kyle. you. Uh, no. Well, Miles Shanahan is under pressure. what the world is about, right? Isn't it? Yeah. Watching some Watch good, good friends, friends say. Yeah. Anyway, I agree out. with you. Kyle Shanahan is under pressure. Like, he was one of my picks, too, especially because if you have a young QB in Trey Lance, you got to make sure that you get that right. So either he's going to be proving himself right or he's not. I don't know. Well, it is the terror of knowing what this world is about, as you say. So uh, we were talking about this during the break, too. Under Pressure is such an underrated all-time great song, and I will have it in my head all day long. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. See you tomorrow. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.